0: Today, um, we are in, in, our, in our Matthew, in our Gospel of the Kingdom series, um, we are what we called last week, kind of Matthew's, or week before last, Matthew's Road to Jerusalem, and uh, talking about what exactly it means for Yeshua as our Messiah to lay down His life, to be buried, and then to be resurrected. Oddly enough, this is the one topic that Christianity builds its entire belief system on. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. And yet, or maybe, and so, it is maybe one of the most misunderstood or diversely understood events even within Christianity. And when you go to start really trying to understand it people get really offended in my experience when i was still in church you know it was it was one thing to start wearing tassels and people looked at you really funny it was one thing to say oh no i'm not going to eat a i'm not going to eat any ham at the church banquet god forbid yeah it was it was you know it was it was one thing to to do those kinds of things but i started having conversations with people and started going so like what is salvation to you what, is that, what does that mean what does that look like to you and people got really nervous they didn't like it personally I think it's because they really don't understand it but I got a lot of pushback from people first it was kind of like well you're a minister why are you asking me <laughs> you should, you're the expert you should know these things and I wasn't asking because I needed to know. I was asking for conversation's sake because I've been finding some things out that I was never taught before. And so, th- this is my, my point and my, kind of my introduction to what we're going to talk about today. Is that we all walk around, and not just us, but believers in the kingdom. We walk around and we believe and we say that a, our salvation and our relationship with God through Yeshua our Messiah is the most important decision we'll ever make. Everybody agree with that? It's the most important decision you can ever make. Getting married is a huge decision. But choosing to be loyal and following after Yeshua is an even bigger deal. Buying a house is a major commitment. What college you're going to go to. What, what, where you're going to live. All these things are major decisions. Whether you're going to have kids or not. How many you're going to have. Major decisions.
1: PTSD. Chill bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: triggering Kyle. And think about how much time and effort we put into all of those decisions. Go to buy a house. How many, how many months do you research deciding what college you're going to go to, where Kyle is right now. How many? How long do you research and figure it out? Or maybe you didn't, maybe you just went to the nearest one. But when you when you fall in love, how much time do you spend? All these major decisions, think about how much we think about them because we understand the weight of them. We understand that there is a cost to them. There is a cost to be counted. And yet how much have we really, really thought about salvation here's my my heart on this is that if we believe what we say that salvation is the most important decision foundationally fundamentally the most important decision we will ever make in our lives that it will affect the lives of our spouse and our children our family and all of every aspect of our life if we believe that then shouldn't we want to understand what all of that entails? Shouldn't we want to tear it apart and and see the inside, see the the guts of what salvation and deliverance atonement means? Shouldn't we want to turn it upside down and and look at the back and 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 really 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 understand? <clears throat> But when you start doing that people think that you're trying to get out of believing they, they think you're trying to they think you're trying to 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 find some kind of loophole and and the point is that through asking these questions and through trying to understand what exactly am I what who am I following what did he do that that affects me and how does it affect me and then what is my responsibility to that i think those three questions are really important i want to mine and i want to to uh to dig out as much as i can about this event that changed the course of history the 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 resurrection of yeshua changed the course of history his his life period the, his very existence changed the course of of, of world history of human history and yet I would bet that most of us walked an aisle or prayed a quick prayer and we were saved and we never thought about it again never questioned it again what, what happened what, what is my response what is my responsibility by the other side of this argument or this, this question then is maybe because people don't want to talk about it maybe that's an indication that we really don't believe it's the most important decision we've ever made Oof. maybe we spend more time researching where we're going to live because we really do believe that's more important than the state of our soul and where our allegiance lies, to the kingdoms of heaven and earth. Maybe our lack of wanting to really dig in, and our defense being, "Oh, well, no, it's just Jesus died, and that His blood covered my sins, and that's that's enough." Maybe it's an indication that we're we really have other priorities. So today, like I said, it's a big brain day. So just get ready. If you if you didn't get enough sleep last night, me neither. Yeah. Neither did we.
1: It's fine. I believe in one sola. We sola bootstrapper.
0: Solo. <laughs> so uh, by your bootstraps alone, yeah, we will your, get through this. I um, promise. If uh, if we're we're gonna try not to be too deep in the weeds and, and too, uh, but what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about um, about atonement because that is 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 it not kind of one of the big points of of yeshua's whole whole deal is atonement and um there's going to be some places where we might hurt your feelings if your feelings get hurt they might need to get hurt if you're offended you might need to be a little offended i don't get mad just take it as oh like oh there's a tender spot
1: Chances I'm, are I'm going to make it better by the end.
0: So. Yeah, we're going to make – yeah, we're going to soothe it all up. We're going to rub some Bengay on it by the end. It's going to be fine. You'll be able to walk it off. I, I'm i redoing a trailer, and um and I was cleaning up the wheels so I could paint them and get new tires on them, and I only, it was only like an hour. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, man, hard manual labor. Um, Mr. Ron does more work in an hour than I did in that hour. I mean, you know, in half an hour than I did in that hour. And I woke up the next morning, and my hand was like – I couldn't hardly move it. It was – it was hurt, it hurt so bad. And I thought, well, I can either get mad about it or I can realize that that's an area I probably need to work. Probably need to do some more stuff to strengthen it. So if there's an area where you feel like, ooh, that, ooh, ow, that didn't feel good, <laughs> then don't take it as an offense. Take it as, well, maybe there's an area you're insecure. And maybe it's an area you need to think about, and pray about, study about a little bit more. So, Atonement. Let's get after it. All right. So um,
1: first and foremost, I want to say uh, this is uh, all religious doctrine and theology aside. This is a messy topic. And the reason that it's messy is because there's something about atonement that most of us do not realize, especially those of us from the deep south, fundamentalist, evangelical, whatever background you come from is that there are multiple theories of atonement that span back as far as the first writings of the followers of Yeshua post-New Testament. So that's part of the trouble. You go to look into this, and then you go like, holy cow. The, the, the theory of atonement presented to me whenever I said a prayer and was saved isn't the only way to quantify what happened. That in and of itself can be foundation breaking in a good way. Right. Right. Now, why are there so many theories? I think this is so worth addressing. The theories are diverse because our Bible is diverse. Okay. Which, and let me explain. The Bible is rife with diverse themes and symbols and metaphors. So there's not one theory of the atonement that can account for all of those. Okay? It's not possible. Hence why there's so many theories. Each theory sort of picks up on one of those themes and runs with it. Okay? So, um, also, uh, another reason this is a bit messy, is because some of the smaller things about the way you read the Bible, for instance, original sin... The devil and Satan. Uh, Let's see, what else? Death in the afterlife. You know, the small stuff, right? Um, (laughs) That stuff all factors into these theories as well, most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I I intend to answer a few big questions, which is, uh, what are the theories? And we're only going to do a handful, and I'm not going to get really in the weeds. I'm going to explain them. We're going to talk about what some of the pros and cons of each are, and then we're going to try to Uh, wrap this thing up in a healthy way to understand it. Uh, Which theory is right? Of course, because that's important. (laughs) Which emphasis is correct, and you'll see what I mean. And what are the implications of all this? In other words, how are we going to live it? Okay? Because a theory of atonement means nothing if you're not changed. Okay? So, the first thing that we have to wrap our heads around and, um, this is this is kind of like this is theologian talk, so you'll have to like excuse me a bit. But for the sake of researching the topic, I have to say this. Okay, when you go and say like, okay, atonement, let's hear what everybody has to say. Okay, Messianic Jews, Jews, Christians, uh, Christian scholars, the Christian that you just met last week in the pulpit or in the pew, like whatever. Uh, there's two types of atonement, two main categories. There's objective atonement and subjective atonement, okay? And each theory falls in one of those two categories. Objective just means that the atonement affects things outside of us, okay? Subjective means that it affects humanity directly. There's a direct change to human beings, okay? Which, to some of you, you may be thinking, well, like, don't you have to have both? And now you're starting to ask the right questions, <laughs> Okay. So, another problem. Again, as I said, it's an issue of emphasis. Um, theories of atonement have a lot to do with which parts of Yeshua's life and ministry you put the most emphasis on. And you may be thinking to yourself, I have no partiality or priority there. Oh, uh, yeah, you do. Do you? <laughs> really? Are you sure? Because you may not now, but the background that you came from probably did, and that is deep-seated okay so there are a few areas of emphasis within those two
0: categories that these theories lie and i'd like to say too that emphasis emphases what's the plural of emphasis emphases emphases i got it right emphases do change as you change as you grow older emphases change as you find yourself in a new area of life emphases change right um you, you will you will your perspective will be different depending on where you are. So you may have as a as a younger person thought one way about it and now all of a sudden you find yourself thinking about it a different way and you didn't even realize it. It's just growth and it's growth in wisdom. So this this emphasis stuff is really is really important because as we say all the time, we all have a lens. We all have a lens. Um <clears throat> I posted a Babylon B meme last night on Facebook. If you don't follow Babylon B, you should, just because it's funny and we need laughs. Um, but they're, they're a satire site. They're almost too close to reality, though. Um, so it was the verse about uh, Yael and Hever, where Yael put the stake through the forehead. And, and it was like, I've never seen that be anybody's life verse. You know, depending on what denomination you grew up in, you had a life verse. Like mine was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and so was everybody else's in the Baptist church. Um, but y'all had a life verse, and it's like I've never seen anybody use that as their, their life verse. And it just proves that we do have uh, we do have um, what's the word I'm looking for. We have places of scripture that we like a little bit more than others. <laughs> we I mean, we have a different emphasis. We want to we hear verses about how God wants our good. We don't want to hear about, you know, somebody driving a, a tent peg through somebody's forehead. Um, and we do the same thing with the life of Yeshua and the ministry of Yeshua. And it's okay. It's part of the human nature and it's part of our journey. But it's important to realize that and to remember that. Right. And,
1: um, again, I really can't emphasize enough that this is a conversation that has been being had. Terrible English. Since For 2,000 years, literally, the, the epistles in the New Testament, so we're talking like after you've got finished reading the Gospels, all begin to talk about what happened. And uh, I'll talk about what I believe Paul, who wrote a majority of the epistles, believed about the atonement. Uh, and, and so this conversation has been going on for 2,000 years, and there was variation from very early on, and the shocking thing is that the earliest theories probably don't match the one that got you saved in the South. <laughs> which is the funniest thing to me. And, not, and I don't mean that in an impolite way. I, I, like this... Guys, I really hope this changes you the way it has changed me. That's all I can say. I want to go back and just say one more thing whenever it comes to subjective and objective atonement. Objective atonement, as in objects, are the, are the emphasis or the locus of the atonement. That's really popular among the reformers. Th- those theories got picked up in, in the period of the Reformation and fleshed out in the Reformation. Although you can make claims that it, they're rooted in really early writings, and then the subjective atonement is more popular from the Enlightenment on. Okay, uh, which, if you know anything about history, it helps because uh, we're in the postmodern era. Mm-hmm. Subjective atonement from the Enlightenment on it just makes sense That's anyway. We are, yeah. Um, so, as I read these emphases, okay, of Yeshua's life and ministry, think about which one you put the most emphasis on whenever it comes to atonement, before we start to address the theories. Okay, I think that that's really important. First of all, Yeshua's resurrection, which is the victory over death, right? The second would be uh, Yeshua's death itself, the suffering servant. And then finally, his life and teachings, right? Which is like the instruction and in the way of life of the kingdom of heaven. So, alright guys, solo bootstrapper, are you ready?
0: <laughs>
1: so we're going to start with, uh, with theories that have to do with the victory over death. Okay, with an emphasis on the resurrection. The first one is very, very old. Okay, uh, it has its roots in origin, right? The church father origin, which again, I'm going to quote church fathers a lot. For the sake of, his, of history, we're looking at historical views of atonement okay you may not have to agree with the church fathers all the time but look guys let's just face it outside of the New Testament we don't have any Jewish writings about the atonement that are that early that's just the truth okay so this goes all the way back to, to Origen. okay in this view the atonement was payment made to God uh, by God to Satan because Satan held mankind in bondage to sin okay so Origen in particular argued that the cross was a ransom payment equal in value to a man's debt. Remember that debt language that we talked about the last time? A debt accrued since Adam's original sin. At the cross, the death payment of Christ, the devil was obliged to release man from bondage. Right, Very old theory. So it's this ransom um, monetary payment type of theory. Where we, we are in bondage to Satan and sin, and we owe Satan in origin's mind, we owe Satan so God paid it through Yeshua. Okay, that's the, that's the gist of it. Um, so the, the main verse people who hold to this view of atonement, and they still do today, uh, is 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Okay, write these down, maybe turn on your voice recorder because I'm going to go through them fast. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Messiah Yeshua, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. The idea of ransom has to do with monetary exchange, right? Hence where the theory comes from.
0: I mentioned that we've got to go through these. I want to kind of do a poll. How many of you are familiar with that idea? Yeah? Okay, very good. And there may, be several, there yeah. may be several that you raise your hand on because I, as, I've, as we've talked about atonement and I've, I've read more about it, I listen to the way Christians talk about it or the way we talk about it, and we tend to mush a whole bunch of stuff together right. and, and, and kind of conflate a whole bunch of things. So some of these may sound familiar, but I, I want to just kind of get a feel for where, kinda where everybody is. Right. So
1: let's talk, first of all, we're going to – I want to critique every single one because here's the thing. Every theory kind of has its own problem. What's the problem here? Do we owe Satan anything? <laughs> That's the immediate problem that people right. have with this theory. And even more, does God owe Satan anything? Right. No, that's the that's, – <laughs> yeah. yeah, so does right. anybody owe Satan anything? That's the, that's the initial critique of this theory, right? And it's the one that for people who, who really hold dogmatically to this theory have to answer for.
0: And there are answers, trust me. And something we didn't say in kind of the beginning is that, you know, atonement is rooted in the Tanakh. Right. We've talked about atonement in the tabernacle, in the temple – and for me, and Kyle and I talked about this, for me, the temple, the tabernacle is my default position. That's, my, that's where I try to go back to in order to kind of define everything. Um, it's my mooring. It doesn't mean that it's the only one. It's just mine. Um, so for, for a Jewish person, like we're talking to a bunch of Baptists and Catholics and whoever, whatever y'all are in here. Um, but for a Jewish person, to hear that Satan owned the world and God owed them like that that 's no that 's like alien talk what are you What are you talking about so understand we 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 can 't separate this discussion of atonement from the Tanakh right. and from the the Jewish understand that it comes out of these are Jews trying to figure out based on their temple background and their hebraic under their Jewish understanding what this man dying and then coming back to life means. Right. That's I think a really important framework.
1: That's so important because like I said this comes from Origen who was not Jewish. Right. Right. Right, right. And um, he was familiar with the Tanakh but in a different way than he probably should have been. Sure. Um, Okay. Second the second theory that has to do with the resurrection is actually one of the theories I outlined the last time we met. I just didn't call it by its name because it quite frankly doesn't matter. (laughs) But it's called Christus Victor. For those of you who don't speak Latin, that means the victory of Christ or the victorious Christ. And in this view, uh, it's most prominent modern uh, person that argued it is named Gustav Allen, a, a German scholar, that the work of Christ is first and foremost a victory over the powers which hold mankind in bondage. Sin, death, and he would say the devil. And this view is a reaction to the ransom theory. So, Here's another important thing. Most of these theories are reactions to one another. So this, I think this is a great theory. Because, first of all, it deals with what I think is, is the problem when it comes to sin, which is death. Um, but it's interesting that Gustav Allen basically said, well, like, I, I see that the victory over death is really important, but, like, the ransom theory is not it. So he, using the Bible... Has his theory, right? And uh, I talked about it last week. It, this doesn't have so much to do with with payment, right? It's it's more of a or a payment to something or someone. It's it's not objective, right? Subjective. It's seen as a as a conquest of victory over death, right? Because and you can make it payment language if the wages of sin are death. Okay. <laughs> Are, we, is it, are you guys tracking so the idea of this one, the victorious Christ is that Messiah is victorious over death and the and the um the powers which hold us in bondage to death right so uh I'm just going to read a few verses i'm not going to go through all of these because or else it would just be really long. it would be just such a slog um, so first of all, Galatians one three through five. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Messiah Yeshua, who gave Himself for our sins to rec- to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. So the idea is that it's not this isn't escapism, right? He didn't rescue us from this evil age as then we got to zap out. He rescued us from the powers of sin and death that act through humanity, that that manifest in evil, okay? So another one, this one is going to be so surprising, and this is great because we're in the Passover season. 1 Corinthians 5, 7-8, Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch of dough. You are, in fact, without yeast. For Messiah, our Passover has been sacrificed. So then let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of vice and evil, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So, again, we've talked about this. The Passover wasn't a sin offering, but what did it rescue Israel from? Death and their bondage in Egypt. Okay? One more. Colossians 2, 13-15. And even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness, debt language, I can't, I can't stress that enough. Expressed in decrees opposed to us, he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, disarming the rulers and authorities. Do you hear it? Do you hear the language that he's basing this on? Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the idea is that we have, for Gustav Allen, this is so great, a Christian who doesn't keep Torah, the church has gotten this wrong. It wasn't the Torah nailed to the cross. It was death.
0: Right. Right, that's so good.
1: Okay. So moving on.
0: Okay. So before we do that, how many of you understand that Christus Victor language? The 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 victorious. victory. Yeah, yeah, victorious over death. We didn't critique that one.
1: I'm a, yeah, I'm about okay, to do yeah yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are the problems with it? And there's a glaring one. For most it doesn't deal adequately with the issue of sin okay and it doesn't it some would say it doesn't express clearly why messiah had to come and die now i wanted to be unbiased and give the critique but i really like this theory <laughs> so i'm going to respond because i have a live mic <laughs> that is true only if you view the transgression of sin as the issue That's not the issue. The issue is the curse which comes about through sin, which is death. That's the issue. Okay? Moving on. Yeshua's death, the suffering servant. Okay? So whenever people put emphasis on the death, the moment on the cross, these theories come about. The first one is the satisfaction theory. Again, very, very old. Okay? This view sets God's justice or honor against man's immense debt. In sin. This satisfaction view is a reaction to the ransom view. Again, this reactionary thing. So uh, it's argued that it was not Satan, but to God that man's debt is owed. Now that man's sin debt has been exacted from the Son, man can be reconciled to God's divine justice. Very familiar, right? Show of hands. Most people have heard that. Yeah, for sure. And its cousin, which comes directly from it, is the one that I was personally presented with and saved by. Penal substitutionary atonement. It's probably the one that most people know best, and it's probably the, the only one you thought existed. I hope that I'm not just speaking for myself here. I always thought this was the only way to quantify it. So this view, sets, or, or let's see, this view is associated often with Martin Luther and Calvin. Very reformed, very late, I should point out.
0: i.e. new, newer. New,
1: yeah, right, thanks. Scholar talk, my bad. Some studies have demonstrated, however, that key elements go back earlier. That's fine, although I think it's demonstrably false. Um, The word penal refers to the divine penalty enacted at the cross. Say that again. The word penal, it means penalty, refers to the divine penalty enacted at the cross, and this penalty is more than payment for sin to God, though it is that. It is also the site at which God expended his wrath against human sin. Okay? So it's, all, it's about wrath against sin. God can be just and the justifier of the ungodly because Christ was our substitute on the cross. He paid sin's penalty. Does all of this sound familiar? I'm pretty sure I was giving this on a track at one point. Okay? By a sacrificial death, he canceled the record of death. It, it quotes Colossians. Our sin in this view is imputed to Christ and his righteousness is imputed to us. That's that old Baptist yeah, talk. I love hey. it. Yep. Right? Yep. Now, uh, I want to read a couple of verses. The, the main one people go to often, Romans 5. Romans Road. Yeah, Romans Road, you got to do it. <laughs> Romans Road, Romans 5, 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Then, of course, the suffering servant passages, Isaiah 53. Verse 5, he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. Uh, 10 and 11, though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life, and the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied, speaking of the servant, by the way, in my opinion. He will be satisfied when he understands that he, what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. Okay, and I went through that really fast. So first of all, there are, there, in my opinion, there are two problems with this theory. Um, the first one is it doesn't explain so much why Yeshua says, follow my example. Because from this theory comes exactly what you spoke about whenever we kind of introed this thing, which is he died and paid it all, so why do anything? If my debt has been paid and wrath has been poured out, why, why, why live righteously? Yeah, and if uh, that, that's lit, that, that mindset we have to
0: understand that mindset comes from this theory there's no way around that yeah and the idea that um that his righteousness was imputed to me that imputed what a biblically word yeah give me a definition uh, uh, yeah <laughs> that that righteousness was imputed that that tells me as the the recipient or the believer that i have no participation in my in righteousness right so so, I mean, let's just how many of you have understand penal substitution this is kind of probably the the thing you kind of grew up with so we we know really firsthand, and you can tell by my teachings especially when talking about offerings this is really the one that gets under my like this is the thorn in my saddle <laughs> um, because to me it's been so toxic it's been abused and it, weaponized. It, it has been abused and, and, and not that there's not truth to it maybe but as you're going to see as we go through these and I'll say this again towards the end if you only hold one view if you only hold the penal substitution view and that colors your entire life it's going to be rough (laughs) if you only hold the christus victor view again only one of these these views of of what yeshua's work was is is tough to do the 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 idea that that righteousness was given to me based on nothing i did based on nothing I ever could do means that how I live my life can't really affect it from here on out because it's not mine it's somebody else's and so we we live in this disjointed dislocated kind of we don't know where we stand kind of thing even though we claim we claim this imputed righteousness we still don't understand because it's not ours we can't own it and so th- this oh gosh so okay so I'm, I'm gonna get off my soapbox because there's that's fine there's a lot of baggage here, obviously, um, but there's a, there's a lot of issues um, with this. I'm, I'm going to say that there's two main ones
1: ahead, that, okay. I, that I would really like to address. Number one, first and foremost, verse 9, uh, saved through him from God's wrath. I would argue, and so would m- a lot of New Testament scholars. I'm not going to say all because that's just not true, but a lot of New Testament scholars would argue saved through him from God's judgment. Mm. Because what happens at the end of days, whenever we are judged, if you are unrepentant, you die a second death. I cannot stress enough that the problem that God had to fix is death. Okay? Second of all, if you keep reading, for if while... Okay, so it says... We are saved through him from God's judgment. This is for, Romans five, right? This is still Romans five. For if while we were enemy, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. How much more it's that rabbinic ploy? How much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Mm-hmm. Do you see? So Paul even, even like, the presentation of this view is separated from the rest of that passage, mm-hmm. from that
0: full argument. Like we do, taking a half a verse here and a half a verse there.
1: How much more so are we saved by his life? Right. The victory over death. Right. (laughs) Okay. Problem number two, and I'm opening a can of worms, and I apologize ahead of time because I didn't ask if it was kosher. (laughs) Problem number two is that this assumes original sin. We We have beat around the bush, and I'm just going to address it outright. Original sin, Augustine's doctrine of original sin, which is where it comes from, comes from a poor translation of the Latin vulgate. Okay,
0: of Romans 5. Through well, through one man. Right, right. So so let's I know we all know what original sin is. We may just not talk about it in that I'm definition. So let's define original sin first. Basically, you've inherited sin through Adam's sin. And there's the nothing you can do about it. You're you're born as a fresh little baby with beautiful pink skin or whatever color you came out. Um <laughs> um, I want to be inclusive here, but you—you you were born into this world, fresh, take your first breath, you're sinful. By no, just sucks to be you. Just because you know it sucks to be a human. It's just the way it way it goes. Okay. And I want you guys to live in this tension for a
1: moment, because I. I I'm sure someone's uncomfortable somewhere, if not in here online.
0: And most of us believe this because it's all the only option we've ever been given. But also, I would dare to believe that most of us that have really thought about this go like, I don't know. Right. Doesn't something to, And so there is a tension. And there probably has been a tension in some of your lives for a long time. But nobody would, ever, nobody would come out and ever say, yeah, there's right. some problems with it. Because again, so we're going to do it.
1: <laughs> again, I want to stress that original sin is often touted as the reason in which we need a savior. Yes. And don't worry, I will, I will address that as well. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> so Augustine's doctrine of original sin comes from a poor translation from the Latin Vulgate, a translation of a translation of Romans 5.12. It's a passage you all know. Whenever I read it, you'll recognize it. So then, just as sin entered the world... I'm going to read it the way Augustine's Vulgate read. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people, in him all sinned. That's what the Vulgate said. That is not what the Greek New Testament says. Let me read it the way that it is written in the Greek New Testament. And most English Bibles today are correct in their rendering. I had to change the way my Bible is translated to read it the way Augustine read it. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all people because all sinned. Do you see the difference? It's subtle. So we didn't all sin in one man. We all die because we all sin. Death was the original thing that separated us from God. Death was the product of sin. This theory assumes that the issue that must be fixed is transgression itself that is not what needs to be fixed. We could always repent. In the Tanakh, they could repent and be forgiven.
0: Right, right.
1: So then what must be addressed? Death. Right. Death has to be rectified to get us back to the garden. Right. That is why we need a Savior. Not because we are sinners. We are sinners because we have all chosen to do what Adam had did and disobeyed. Right the reason we need a savior is because death can't be a thing for all things to be restored to the original Edenic ideal which is back in the presence of God before the tree of life where there is no death (laughs) this is Augustine drastically if I can say and just be frank drastically misunderstood and misappropriated
0: this passage and we are all paying for it today. And this could be a m- massive rabbit hole that we probably don't want to go down today. I- I'll just say, this is my favorite statement on sin. Favorite I've ever heard. It's not a Bible verse. Uh, Moshe Kompinski owns a store. Moshe and his brother Dove own a store in the old city of Jerusalem called Shurashim. It means roots. The old city of Jerusalem, it's a little gift shop. But hundreds, maybe even thousands of tourists come through their shop every year. Well, not this year, but Besar Hashem, maybe next year. And Moshe does these little talks and talks about the land and talks about but he also, as a rabbi and as a very learned man, talks about the differences between Christianity and Judaism. Moshe said, I don't remember anything else Moshe said sitting there that hour with him, but this is the one thing I do remember. He said the difference between Christians and Jews is for Christians, sin is something you are. I.e., original sin. Right. Something in you. Inside right, something of you. in you. It's Something you're infected with. He said for Christians, sin is something you are. For Jews, sin is something you do.
1: And our New Testament writers are Jews. Paul in Romans 5, Jewish.
0: Think, think about that statement. I'm going I'm to say it like... 15 more times. <laughs> Not today. For for Christians sin is something you are. For Jews sin is something you do. Consider consider the implications. Even if you don't buy into this whole hog. <laughs> it wouldn't be kosher. And you are allowed to disagree. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can disagree, or you can leave and go like, I didn't like that. That's fine. I didn't like this either 10 years when I first thought about it, studied it. If the, because we have to always ask the implications of new things, right? Okay, if we're going to change the way we think about this, then what is it, what's the ripple effect it has down the road? I love the implications of this one. Because if I'm, if I don't, if my, if my beautiful children, one of which has not slept in like four nights, (laughs) So by default neither has mommy or daddy. If that beautiful baby comes out and he's not when when he is born is not infected by a sin, something that's a part of him, but he has a choice later in his life. That means that you and I weren't either. And then
1: it's a slippery slope from there.
0: But but what, I mean
1: no, but seriously, then it just leads to, you know...
0: How, how much, again, how much healing could come from just considering right. that maybe... Because, see, the problem with a lot of these theories is that it, it, again, like Kyle said, they deal with sin. Well, who in here doesn't still sin, right? So if, if the issue with Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, life, death, burial, and resurrection, if the issue is sin, then he failed miserably and that's the part I never could explain I never could explain this part of Yeshua's whole deal because the focus was always on sin, but we all still sin, so what the heck, right but the issue is not sin, as Kyle says so beautifully, sin was all, transgression was always forgivable, and was always able to be handled, so that can't because one of the questions that people have when they come into the Torah movement is, well I see that God, I could be joined to God through, uh, I could be joined to God in the Tanakh, through the nation of Israel, through repentance, right? No, you never needed a Messiah to be joined to, to Hashem. So why all of a sudden now do you need Jesus to be joined to God? Because we say, well, he's the one that, you know, rest that, that made a way for me to be in the covenant of Israel. Well, no, that was always an option.
1: Right. And so, I think what's presupposed, if I may interject, yeah. what's presupposed is whenever it says that like Messiah died to save us from our sins, it's presupposed that you understand he's talking about the product of sin, right. which is death. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. So this this whole thing, this whole thing hinges on the fact that that how again how much healing could come if we if we just consider and if again even if we don't believe at all because it can get dangerous, but even if we even if we just consider. That maybe sin is not something you are. Maybe sin is something you do. So how do you, how do you defeat sin in your own life? Well, Messiah already did that. No, 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 no. Yeshua didn't come to defeat sin because you all still sin. If, he, if that was his job, he failed. How do you defeat sin in your life? Joining yourself to the Messiah. And, and, and through, <laughs> through that. Through lifestyle. You're right, through the lifestyle, which means if there's sin in your life, stop it. Yep, repent. Yep, that's how you. That's how you defeat sin. I, it's yeah, it, it is. It's it's really simple.
1: Because you see, whenever it comes to defeating death, and this is a real issue, guys. Like, and we're just making it plain. It's a real issue that not just Jews or anti missionaries ask Christians ask this question. Well, like God forgave sins in the Tanakh. So what gives? Right? No, like death had to be defeated. That, that's outside of, hu- of the human sphere. Right. There's nothing I can do. Death is coming. Right? Right. So anyway. Is this being helpful yeah. at all? Okay. So it's Only- the product of sin, which is death. Yeah. Only like two of y'all asleep, so I think we're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> we're almost through the theories. Yeah. Almost. Okay. You guys are doing great. Um, save the rotten tomatoes for Oneg. <laughs> when I can juke and jive a little more. Okay. Anyway, so let's move on to an emphasis on Yeshua's life and teachings. Okay. So the first theory, and these are all really related, and some people don't even separate them. Okay. So I want to say that up front. First one is the moral exemplar theory. So in this view, man's greatest need is not to be reconciled to God. No, rather man needs an ultimate moral example. And Christ provides this via his self-giving life and death. According to Peter Abelard, a French scholar who, who propagated the most in the modern age. Again, I would argue that some of these go back a lot older. Uh, Jesus died as a demonstration of God's love. A demonstration which can change the hearts and minds of the sinners, turning them back to God. So for Abelard, atonement happens whenever the sinner repents. And lives the example of Yeshua's life. Okay? Uh, 1 Peter 2. 21 through 24. For this you were called, since Messiah suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may cease from sinning
0: and live by righteousness. By his wounds we, you were healed. Don't, so, don't, yeah, don't, and, and don't sleep on that little phrase, that we may cease from
1: sinning and live for righteousness and live
0: for righteousness
1: right by example
0: it, it really seems like the new testament really thinks that i'm sorry i can't get off of this thing that sin is not something you are it's something you do Absolutely. seems like the new testament believes that sure just yeah. the church doesn't believe it which means we don't really believe the new testament <laughs> Ooh, sorry Ooh. <laughs> was that too far <laughs> sorry first john
1: 316 first john Not john first john 316 <laughs> We have come to know love by this, that Yeshua laid down his life for us. Thus we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Philippians, see, it's that example thing, following the example. Philippians 3.10, my aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death. Okay, it's this example, this moral example thing. And I'll point out a couple of examples. Think of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is rife with this theory of atonement. Whenever Stephen is martyred, what does he say? Forgive them, Father. Which is exactly what Yeshua said. Paul's trials, he's moved around and they're they're trying to get these false testimonies against him and he goes from trial room to trial room to trial room. Who does that remind you of? Okay. Next one is the solidarity theory. I, capital L O V E, love this theory. (laughs) love it okay can't stress it enough this view argues that Messiah at the cross identified with humanity's sufferings and overcame it very similar to Christus Victor in a lot of ways most of these these theories are in doing so he brought humanity into a new way of living according to divine justice I'll say so the point is that he he identified with suffering and then countered it with justice the way he lived, while considered newer, this view has roots within older views and is most similar to Christus Victor. I'll give you a few examples. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. At about three o'clock, Yeshua shouted with a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani?" That is, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" A, a Messiah who who suffered, right, and identified with the sufferings of people. Have you ever felt that way?
0: God, set. why have you forsaken yeah. me?
1: Okay. Isaiah 53 the suffering servant is the playground for this theory he was despised and rejected by people one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness people hid their faces from him he was despised and, was, and we considered him insignificant he was treated harshly and afflicted but he did not open his mouth like a lamb to the slaughtered block like a sheep silent before his shearers he did not open his mouth he was led away after an unjust trial but who even cared Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living because of the rebellion of his own people. He was wounded. So the idea here is that through Yeshua, God is taking interest in the suffering of humanity. And it is our job to join him in these sufferings, not only in solidarity to him, but to our brothers and sisters who likewise suffer. Okay? So this is the atonement theory of the mamzer. You're the outsider, you suffer, you're oppressed. Have I got good news for you? And then the last one. This one, along with Christus Victor, is the one that I presented together the last time that we met. The participation theory. Okay. Sometimes not separated from solidarity. Uh, I would say that there is a bit of variation. So, participation... Involves becoming similar to Messiah through the actions of the Holy Spirit, to such a degree, a person might be called identical in some sense with Christ. Isn't that our goal—to be Christ-like? Now I want you to do some homework. You didn't know you're going to have to do homework. I'm sorry. Go home. Look through not the right go- now. Go look through the Gospels. Look through the, or not, not through the Gospel. You can. I'll explain why. But look through Paul's letters. And I want you to write down how many times you see something that looks like it could be substitutionary atonement, and how much something looks like this. Because Paul teaches that Messiah dies in the place of others so they can escape, or he doesn't. His, his primary teaching is not that Messiah dies in the place of others so they escape death. Substitution, right? It is rather that Messiah sharing in their death makes it possible for them to share in His representation is not an adequate single word description nor particularly participation but at least they help convey the sense of continuing identific- identification with messiah through and beyond his death mm-hmm. which as we shall see is fundamental to paul's soteriology or or theory of salvation this is a quote jürgen moltmann the main the main proponent of this theory says in a participatory model that's a hard word to say by contrast God or but wait, let's see. So God does it all and we are included in the doing of God. And not as puppets are we fully included, but as creatures created by the creator of God the Creator God to be creative. It is we who contribute something. We who are artists participating in the artistry of God.
0: Okay? That's well, amazing. Yeah. And <clears throat> and can I just say that we um I've tried to even change the way that I say some of these things just personally because there's there's hangups there but um the the idea that we we are to be you know God make me more like you that idea probably needs to be corrected a little bit in this participation thing you know we could talk about divinity whether he was or wasn't whatever we're not going to get into that debate this morning I, we've already hurt enough feelings probably, but the the participation in the human part of Yeshua's life, death, burial, and resurrection that participation is not to make us more like God, it's actually to make us more human, fully human and that can be a really hard like wait what? because if you come from a substitution a a penal type of background humanity is the last thing you want to be (laughs) <laughs> right because humans are the scourge of the earth because of original sin this disease we have but if you understand that that humans were created good tov me'od, very good divine in the image of god and that god wanted to and and has striven across all history to partner with mankind to bring his kingdom then in yeshua what you have is the the complete human the the ideal of humanity the one in the image of god right as submitted as submitted to hashem do you understand that little that little difference trying to be like god is impossible it's a frustrating task god make me more like you and the whole time you're saying that you're thinking oh but i'm not like god in this and this and this and this i got a lot of stuff to change i'm overwhelmed forget it jesus did it all like that this reasoning that we use because it's so hard not 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 the case that God made humanity unique and diverse and beautiful because he wanted to partner with us to spread his kingdom. So as we follow Yeshua, we actually become more human. And that's a great thing. That's the restoration of Eden. That's the restoration of Eden. God didn't create little gods. He created humans. Something with his fingerprint, his image, but distinct from himself.
1: Right. I meant to open this can of worms. I'm just going to do it. Okay, good. Uh, while we're at it. Please, let's... So, um... Also, I think, with substitutionary atonement, and maybe even a couple of these other theories, there's sort of this, and maybe it doesn't even have to do with these theories, it just, that just sort of jogged my mind what you said. Uh, this, this idea that, like, you know, Jesus died to zap us to heaven. Like, no, if we're trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, which I desperately believe we are, the way God always intended creation to be and function. He made the earth to dwell here with us. Right. The point right. of the whole point of this earth, this thing I'm sitting on a chair on that's rotating in space, are not dependent on. It is. <laughs> it is. Let me just clear the air. It is. The Bible assumes a flat earth, it doesn't teach one. You're welcome. Another oh, can of worms. <laughs> that's good. Um, I would drop this mic, but it's expensive and I don't want to have to play this. So. God, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) This this rock, this this molten rock that we're floating on, right? It was made for God to dwell here with us. That was the whole point. It was made, why do you want to leave? Right.
0: (laughs) Right. Why?
1: Right. Can I just ask? Why? Like, That's not me being silly. I'm not trying to be goofy. I'm very excited and passionate right now, (laughs) but I'm not trying to be silly. That's a genuine question for anyone who has never asked it. Why do you want to leave so desperately? This place was made for God to be here
0: with you. And it's good. And it's good. And it's beautiful. And if, if this is a cause, if God has a cosmic temple and his presence is supposed to be in the earth, then where in the temple is the earth? Right. Somebody say it. The Holy, Holy, Holy of Holies. Holy. We have a whole solar system. Have you ever thought about it like that? whole some some people just went oh my god <laughs> if the if it's a cosmic temple and god chose this place for his presence his Shekhinah to be where is this and so do you see again why death is the issue again from a temple sense you can to me you can't see this stuff without knowing the temple
1: I'm, I'm taking for granted that all the Genesis stuff is firmly rooted in your mind, right?
0: And if, if it's not, you got a lot of homework to do. But this—if this space that we live in is equated to that, death can't. It's not a thing. But also, if you transgress in the the in in the Kodoshim, the Holy of Holies, death is the penalty. Yes, or They're, exile. Or exile which is death,
1: which is death. Right. Because look at the garden. They sinned. God said, Surely you will die. They didn't die immediately. They were exiled and then they died. Right? Exile and death and temple, all this is all hand in hand. So let's let's talk about some passages that have to do with participation. First of all, first and foremost, uh, whenever Yeshua starts to predict his death, what does he say? If you want to be my disciple, you must what? Pick up your cross and follow me. Second Corinthians five, fourteen and fifteen. For the love of Messiah controls us, or compels us. I love that language. The love of Messiah controls us. Since we have concluded this, that Messiah died for all, therefore all have died. In this theory, on that fateful Passover, Yeshua is not the only one that died. (laughs) We did. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. You're you're participating in a new way of living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second Corinthians five seventeen. So then if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Same passage I just went down like a verse. So this, this idea of being of participating in the, the death and life of Christ is linked to being a new creation, a return to Eden. Praise God. Is right. anyone awake? <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Amen.
1: so then if anyone is in messiah he is a new creation what is old has passed away it passed away with him that day the old has
0: passed away look what is new has come
1: I'm preaching up in here I'm sorry
0: <laughs> and what's old is not old law old covenant old uh, like, it's death it's death <laughs> right. the oldest thing yeah Ephesians
1: 2 4-7 through 7, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us oh thank God yeah even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you were saved. And he raised us up with him mm-hmm. and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Messiah Yeshua. That is
0: true. Yeah. That
1: is true today. Yeah. To demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. The coming age when we are literally resurrected again and participate in the new life and the, de- the defeat of death. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you guys, do your homework. Go and, and read up on Paul. This is, whenever he, and the Bible in general, the New Testament in general, really, whenever the death, burial, and resurrection is talked about, it's, and, and let me put it another way. Whenever we're told to imitate Christ, it is always within the sphere and the context of his death, burial, and resurrection. Always. Hence why I think this is such a great way of quantifying atonement. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about an honorable mention really quick because I'm still fleshing this one out. It might be a good master's paper one day. Um, so uh, I'm going to call it the priestly theory. We can call it the Levitical theory or something. I don't know. Whatever. It's, just, uh, it's a definite thread that is, in my opinion, ignored. I, I didn't find it anywhere. Uh, which is that Yeshua's death restores the covenant made at Sinai. It actually goes back further, I would argue. Restoring Israel and humanity. That's what I mean to the role as priest before God. Because what was Adam's job? Priest. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's look. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. You guys all know this. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? 1 uh, Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. See, this is linked with atonement. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. What what has to be atoned for the most in the Tanakh? The temple and its vestments. Sin and iniquity and impurity has to be taken away from it for God to dwell within it. Do you see? Do you see what he's? Pick? Okay. Whew. First Peter two one through eleven. This is the deal sealer for me. So get rid of all evil, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and and envy, and all slander, and yearn like a newborn infant for pure spiritual milk, so that by you may grow up in salvation, if you've experienced the Lord's kindness. So as you come to Him, a living stone, a living stone of the temple, rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, and to offer spiritual sacrifices, offerings, that are acceptable to God through Yeshua Messiah. For it says in Scripture, Look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So you who believe see his value, but for those who do not believe the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stumbling stone and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, exiles, death, to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. Where does this all come from? Well... At Sinai, God says, uh, Israel, if you keep my covenant, which I make with you today, you will be a nation of priests for me and my most valued possession. So what does Moses do? He makes an offering and sprinkles the blood on the people, and then they make a golden calf in sin. Okay, fast forward, like lots of hundreds of years, at the Last Supper, particularly in Luke, Yeshua says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, drawing on Jeremiah 31, Okay? So, what do you say? And it's poured out, just like Moses poured the, the sacrifice of the covenant, the offering of the covenant, onto the altar and the people. And the priests have to be anointed with mm-hmm. the blood. Mm-hmm. It's poured out for many. He's instituting the priesthood of humanity, he's restoring us to Eden, right. where we were all to be priests before God. So good. All right. So, I, go ahead. We've,
0: gone, we've been going about an hour. So can we wrap up with the top three? Are you? Or there's a couple things you want to hit first? Yeah, I think I can
1: wrap up within like 20 minutes. Okay. Tops is y'all that okay? Y'all got 20.
0: Y'all got 20 minutes. Are you okay. All right. Okay.
1: So which one's more important, or is that even a good question?
0: <laughs> right.
1: Which one's right? It's not. Oh, okay. spoiler alert! <laughs> it's not a good question. Man. So which one is right? Which one's best? Right? Which portrays the biblical story the best? Which is emphasized properly? Well, at the end of the day, these are, all of these theories have some sliver of truth to them, even if it's a small one. And uh, they're all responses to one another. They're all part of the wider conversation. They all have scriptural bases. But remember how the last time we met, I talked about metaphor, right? I want to quote an author named Scott McKnight, who has a wonderful book. You can't really understand atonement without. It's called A Community Called Atonement. You should get it. Listen to this. This is so good. Atonement language includes several evocative metaphors. There is a sacrificial metaphor, an offering. A legal metaphor, justification. An interpersonal metaphor, reconciliation. A commercial metaphor, redemption. And a military metaphor, ransom. Each is designed to carry us like the pole to the thing. But the metaphor is not the thing. The thing. The metaphor gives the reader or hearer an imagination of the thing, a vision of the thing, a window onto the thing, a lens through which to look in order to see the thing. Metaphors take us there, but they are not there. <laughs> he goes on that that might make someone uncomfortable because if it's just a metaphor, well did God not inspire these metaphors? Yeah, just saying. Okay, anyway. Knowing that the metaphor is not the thing leads to important implications, not the least of which is to admit inhumility. That we can have proper confidence in the God who atones by indwelling in each of the metaphors that lead us to the God who atones. Mm -hmm. We need each of them. We need justification and offering and substitution and satisfaction and ransoming recapitulation and incorporation and imputation because each in its own language game of metaphorical exploration and imagination leads us to the core of it all. Reconciliation, which is itself a metaphor, with God, self, others, and the world so I'm going to propose that the best way to view atonement is like a kaleidoscope you guys ever put a kaleidoscope up to the light and the more you adjust it and change it you get a different view and the light comes through and you see different shades and colors and shapes it's exactly what this is like because whenever all are considered you can see the thing which Scott McKnight says through the metaphors which is reconciliation in every direction with God, self, others and the world that's beautiful. Alright, now let's talk about like what is this, what's the point here, right? How do we live this? Everything we've learned since the Genesis series brought us to this moment, right? Sacred space, offerings, the divine image, exile, death, empire, shalom. You have to understand all that before you tackle this subject. Perhaps the most important thing though. Is that on page one of the Bible, from page one of the Bible, God insists and is obsessed with having human partners. That partnering doesn't just stop with God's will or His instruction, okay, but with atonement. Atonement is not something done only by God for us, but it's also something we do for others. Atonement is a practice. Okay? This is not in opposition to the view that atonement is what God does for us. Not, that's not what I'm saying at all. Rather, it is the conviction that atonement is embodied in what God does for us in such a way that we are compelled to participate with God in His redemptive work. This is why I find personally... Some form of the participatory model with the other theories so important
0: because it's what God has always wanted—our help and our partnership. Mm-hmm. And atonement is part of Tikkun Olam; it's yeah. part of repairing the world that we are called to participate in. That's so good.
1: I want to read just a couple of verses before we close. Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen through twenty. And all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and he has given us, given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are our ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's atonement. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter what theory you hold to. If it doesn't end up looking like this, if it's not something that, that, that comes out in a lifestyle, it's for nothing. Right. Because atonement is as relational as it is salvational. Okay? And that, that goes for the Torah as well. What was the whole point of the offerings? A relationship. Right. Right? Yeah. I want to read one more thing, and I'm going to read it from my Bible because I might preach. I don't know, but we're trying to close up here. Let's go to Romans 12. That's after Acts.
0: (laughs) Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, (laughs) Acts, and Moses. Still
1: sing the song. All right. Romans 12. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as an offering, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service.
0: Stop. I'm sorry, but I can't. I can't go out. I got a, I got a soapbox. If your Bible says sacrifice, scratch it out. Scratch it out. I don't usually like to write in holy books. But if your Bible says sacrifice, scratch it out and write offering above it. Your job is not to hurt and give up stuff and sacrifice. That's not your that's not your reasonable service. How many I'm not going to don't raise your hands. How many of you have read this verse and go like my reasonable service is that I have to just I have to hurt all the rest of my life by giving up stuff I don't, you know, like by by uh by stealing away from myself stuff that I enjoy. Your reasonable service is not to be a sacrifice. Your reasonable service is to be an offering, right? You don't drawing give up to the people, point you hurt. right, and connecting right. people to Hashem. That's your reasonable service. Doesn't that sound a lot more like the Great Commission than being a sacrifice? Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: It's okay. So by the by the mercies of God, present your bodies as an offering, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment, as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we are many so so we who are many are one body in Messiah and individually we are members who belong to one another Oof. atonement is relational if you're to be an offering how many guys have thought about it like this like the Bible atonement the Bible all of it is best interpreted within community hence why we looked at theories by other people because I want to know what other people who want to follow this guy and this God have to say yeah right And whenever we're in community and we're living out this atonement thing and we're being an offering to the nations before God and to God before each other, which is the job of a priest and the job of an offering, right? To draw people near. How many of you guys have thought, like, I belong to you and you belong to me? Revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. I want to keep reading. I'm sorry. Verse 6. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophecy, that individual must... Use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve. If it's teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort, whatever that means. If it is contributing, he must do so with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing mercy, he must do so with cheerfulness. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another. Again, it's relational with mutual love or loyalty, the loyal kind as much as the emotional kind, showing eagerness and honoring one another. Do not lag in zeal, be enthusiastic in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, endure in suffering, persist in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. I think you could find every view of atonement in that passage. (laughs) And I said that to say that there were a lot of ways in my past that I would conceive of someone as being saved. If your life and your community doesn't look like that, in my mind, you are not saved. I don't care what theory of atonement you you bought into or what prayer you prayed. (laughs) Because this is, that in Romans there, in Romans 12, is the whole point of atonement.
0: Okay? So, that's it. That's all I got. (laughs) So good. So, um, again, I know this was kind of heavy, kind of nerdy, kind of weedy. But... The main points to take away are we just want to co- kind of condense everything the main points to take away is that no matter how you view the the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah, know that there are other options there are other conversations out there. People have been doing this for two thousand years, trying to go like, what did it mean? Well, I think it meant this I, so there 's a conversation, and as a part of the believing community historically. Whatever, um, it's important that we hear those voices. Ultimately, it doesn't matter which one or ones you go like. This is what I believe. Doesn't matter which one and ones those are. If it doesn't look like what Romans eight talked about, and so, or twelve. I'm sorry. Um, if it doesn't look like Romans twelve then throw all the theories out and you got to go back to the source again and get right. You need to repent again and make sure it sticks this time. (laughs) Romans 12 is what it looks like. And as Kyle said, this, this whole... When we started Genesis 1, however long ago that was, this is what it all was... This is what it all was for. This is what I had in mind when I began that series. That Adam, humanity was set up with a certain function he messed it up but God still yearned for partnership to bring his presence and his kingdom to this earth to establish his kingdom he did it with the patriarchs he did it with Israel he did it with Yeshua and
1: he's doing path, it with us now and, he,
0: and he's doing it with us <laughs> there's a verse in, in Paul's writings that says that Yeshua was <clears throat> the last Adam so if there's a first and a last, what does that mean for in-between? There are lots. There, there's there's some in-between. So, so Noah was an Adam, and Moses was an Adam, Abraham was an Adam, the patriarchs. Israel is the new Adam. Yeshua is the new Adam. And so we have a partnership now to do this very thing. So... This community, our OAM, is really important because th- this is the vision that we have for this this ministry. And those of you that are connected by it live stream, I, I know they're even as diverse as there is. And here, it's more diverse through the camera on the internets. Um, I said it with an S just because I think it's funny. <laughs> um, there are diversities out there, and that's great and wonderful and good. Bottom line is... If you believe the God of Israel, you follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whether you're Jewish or you believe through Messiah, it's about community and about restoring and returning to Eden. That's that's the goal.
1: And participating in that pa- mission.
0: Participating in that mission. And if any part of our lives or our community doesn't look like that, it needs to be rejected. Period. So, Father, we bless you and thank you for this incredible time together. I know that this is one I'm probably going to have to go back and listen to a couple times. Um, but I- I'm I'm just overwhelmed by the healing and the, the things that you're doing to, to renew our minds. And that's how we're transformed, by renewing the way we think about things. And that means challenging and, and many times changing the way we think about things. And so we, we thank you so much for Messiah Yeshua as we celebrate this Passover week that, that, that didn't maybe free us from quote-unquote sin, but that we know that when we die that we have the promise of resurrection. We have Amen. the promise of life. Amen. And not, not life somewhere else, but life here on this good place, planet that you've created. And Father, I pray for the strength and the wisdom to, to not just wait for that life to be whenever it is, but that we would join together and we would belong to one another, as, as Romans so beautifully says, right now, and that we would bring life now here, that we would bring the garden now here, that we would spread your kingdom in our present Situation. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom. Continue to lead us on this journey, Father, as we as we follow our Messiah. We pray for our live stream audience and pray that you bless them with an incredible week and that their light would shine bright, their salt would be uber salty, and that they'd spread the, the borders of your kingdom in whatever world you've placed them in. We thank you so much for them, and uh, we ask your riches, blessings uh, on them. We bless you most of all, Father, and we thank you for this incredible uh, day, and we, we, uh, we just ask your richest blessings. Thank you so much. We bless you through Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen and amen. Amen.